The more choice we gave people, the worse the cost structure became. Working in an integrated manner is really good for everybody. Everyone, when they go home, they're their own procurement group. Welcome to episode two of Supply Chains. This is Ron. Hey, and this is Roy. And I've got to admit, Roy, I'm a little uncomfortable with today's title of our episode, which is Everybody Hates Procurement, because I don't hate you and I don't hate procurement. But I thought we'd start off. Let me ask you a question. Why is it called procurement anyways? Why, why is it called procurement? They call procurement uh, the second oldest uh, career. Uh, but uh, <laughs> procurement is basically buying and selling. So the whole concept of of procuring goods and services uh, comes to the procurement uh, lingo. Of course, they used to call it buying, and then they called it purchasing. Then they called it procurement, and then they moved to supply chain management, strategic sourcing. Yeah, so I I don't know that it'd be as strong as say I hate procurement, but certainly I think, and we talked about it in episode one, I think the uh, just the natural internal silos that exist between in, within organizations and across organizations sometimes make it challenging. So, look, procurement, you know, if they buy too much, we've got too much inventory. If you buy too little, we don't have enough to ship. Uh, if you buy at the wrong price, that's a problem. So I think it, it, it reinforces and look, and, and I'm sure that procurement folks have a particular, you know, have a similar view of downstream supply chain folks. So <laughs> I think it just brings back the fact that because the fact that working in an integrated manner is really good for everybody. So, um, right. Well, what I find, Ron, is that everyone, when they go home, they're their own procurement group. Uh, but when what people don't understand is uh, procurement is a radically different function associated with risk management inside of a company. So uh, at, at one insurance company I worked for, uh, there were 60,000 uh, employees. There were another five to 10,000 contracted employees or third parties that were involved in environment. So let's just call it 70,000 people that we needed to supply products and services with. My entire team in procurement supply chain uh, was 60 people. So not only did I have 70,000 internal customers, I also had 18,000 suppliers that we were doing business with in any given year. Uh, so when you realize it, 60, 70,000 people, and I have 60 people to try to manage 18,000 suppliers, and we were trying to make major changes in the way the, the company did business. So there's an awful lot of individuals that are really part of this, but the internal customer, the one that I'm trying to please most, didn't like to change. Let me give you a quick little story. So I was uh, first into MetLife, and I had the opportunity of looking at their paper spend, their print spend, and they spent uh, millions and millions of dollars on putting ink to paper for policies, and and, uh, much of it ended up in the inventory. But the idea is there were 100 printers in that environment. So I was trying to get it down to the right number of printers. At the end of a nine-month effort, dealing with hundreds of internal customers and hundreds of meetings with suppliers, was able to get the spend uh, down to just four suppliers that could do the entire work for the company. Uh, But unfortunately, one of those suppliers was a friend of a a high-ranking radio personality at the time in New York City and spent three minutes talking about how rotten the procurement manager was at MetLife because I elected not to use his friend. So you have a lot of friendships uh, that are built into the supply base so that when you start mis, uh, changing that, that mixture, you get a lot of emotion tied into it. 
So sometimes that's why people hate procurement. Well, like I said, I, I definitely don't hate procurement, and I particularly like you, Roy, so this is working out good. <laughs> Listen, you, you said something at the beginning of um, um, your talk there that I found um, that I want to build on. So, um, you know, your, your notion of that we're all in procurement. So let me tie into that. So when I think of, let's think of a carton of milk, I'm more concerned about whether it's in the fridge in the morning than I am, whether if we paid what we paid for that milk. That obviously varies person to person. And I would guess business to business is also a variation in terms of what the priority is in stock, price, et cetera. So how do you do the balancing of those? And does it look differently different for big businesses versus small businesses? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, uh, if you stay with a milk example, which I hadn't thought about, but if you go into the milk aisle today in the, in the supermarket, there is a wide range of, of products, uh, organic milk products and uh, whole milk and skill milk and, and little sizes and big sizes. So you have people sitting there trying to decide between one or another, and they're the decision maker. And they still have a hard time figuring out, well, is it better to spend another 40 cents for the organic or is it better to spend uh, $2 more but get you know twice as much? Uh, so quantity times size. So procurement spends a lot of time saying, is it the right product? Uh, people tend to buy more on what they like versus what they need. So is it the right product uh, that we're putting in front of those individuals? And the right product, uh, people say, well, it's all about quality. And, and I, I look at a, a car and saying, well, is a Honda Civic uh, a quality car versus a, uh, a Mercedes-Benz you know, 300 series car? Well, they're both quality, but their qualities are different. So understand quality is, did you meet specifications? So one of the things that procurement works with, with the internal customers, the engineers is, is it the right specification to meet the requirement? Now that's easier on product. When you get to services, what's the right specification for someone that's doing landscaping or painting or doing HR recruiting or doing your advertising agency? The definition of quality is always very, very difficult to define. But we have the right product. Uh, so do you have the right supplier that can produce the product at the uh, quantity that you need? Is it the right price point? Because uh, companies that we know of have gone out of business because their supply chain is too expensive. And of course, as Ron, you had mentioned, the right time. Uh, and if it's brought in late. So I always interested when you talk about the Olympics. All right. The Olympics are there for basically two and a half weeks. Well, if any products show up a day or a day after the Olympics, it's uh, obviously the wrong time. It's uh, missed the boat. And and uh, and that does. And that's just being a few days late in that structure. So sometimes the right time is the most important issue, which is why companies like Next Day Delivery Services get so much business. Look, there's an article um, that I still carry around with me from 10 years ago called The Paradox of Choice um, that was published. And it talks about the fact that consumers um, don't need as much of a choice as we sometimes provide them. And maybe the same is for companies as well. So, uh, and the example I'd give you, and I'm, I'm interested to see if there's a relational example you can give from your experience. So the example I'd give is, um, there's a grocer in, in Texas that I used to work with uh, called HEB that does a fantastic job. But if you look at their stores in, in Texas, the, the skew mix on the shelves was very different than the stores in just over the border in Monterey, uh, Mexico. And uh, but what was interesting at the time was that they were doing more revenue per square foot in Mexico than they were with uh, in Texas, um, but doing it in significantly with significantly less skews. And it just goes it reinforced the fact that sometimes less choice is better. So I don't know if there's an example you can give a procurement that kind of relates to that or if, if that's a problem you 
encountered in your career? Oh, all the time. So one of the things that we would do within technology is try to create the right product mix and put it into catalogs so that people could find the right product easier. Uh, and individuals, if you were going to give them two to three products of the same type, what you'll find is that people would uh, start ordering all three. Then they would start ordering more than they needed times three. Uh, and it was always uh, an interest that the more choice we gave people, the worse the cost structure became because the amount you bought from any one would go lower. Therefore, the price would be higher because you're not buying as many of each. There would be massive amount of overbuying because each individual would buy a little bit more than they really needed because they didn't want to run out. Uh, an example of that, and again, I hate using office supplies, but if you go through an office uh, and you'll see any storage cabinets, those storage cabinets would be filled with office supplies from years gone by that was never used and uh, became an overbuy. It became an enormous expense. Oh, Ron, can I tell you a quick story about office supplies that I found most interesting? Sure. Is that when we put in our first P2P system and we were then getting a better understanding of what people were buying, we saw office supplies, and I'm going to just pick a number, let's say at $100,000 a month. And all of a sudden, we get to August and the office supply budget went to $200,000 in, in going into the 1st of September. And then it would drop back down and go back up to $200,000 the 1st of December. And when we when we dug into the like, why is it going up $100,000? It was because people were starting to buy spiral ring notebooks, which weren't for work, but they could very well be used for school. And then there were people were buying an awful lot of masking tape and cellophane tape and uh, and paper, things like that in December. So we started to find that people were using their um, their corporate funds to be able to buy things that maybe they were taking home versus using the corporate side. So we find it's very interesting when you actually look into the details of what people buy and how they buy it. And the more choice they had, the more... Uh, the more opportunity there was to create problems. Um, you know, you talked a few minutes ago about um, some of the challenges that are opposed um, through um, kind of turbulence in the market and turbulence within companies. Um, just an observation. One of the things that I recently read was an article that talked about the fact that although companies in general um, understand that there are new challenges in supply chains and there's new disruptions and turbulence in supply chains and procurement, the reality is that um, when they also talk to those same companies at a C level about how they were going to fix them, the, the, the first three or four were all kind of old school ways of solving problems. So it, more of an observation than a question. I just think there's an opportunity for us to think very differently about how we face the challenges in procurement and in supply chain as a you know overall uh, in terms of building in resilience to kind of work through and manage through some of these oh, challenges. This, and that's so, that's so true. Uh, the old way, and I'd say the old ways over the last 10 to 15 years, there was this concept of trying to get a single tool in front of an organization and then force everyone to use that same tool. And what I uh, heard was we put in a requisitioning system and my facilities group would sit back and say, you know, Roy, this doesn't really work. We do, we do project plans and we, and we do rollouts of, of uh, diagrams and designs inside the company in order to do the right footprint for the company in terms of their office space. 
And then uh, and say, your tool doesn't help us with that. And then the advertising team would come back and say, Roy, we have creativity that we're dealing with. And we're working with agencies and they don't buy and sell the way you do. Making commercials is different than just a requisition with a product or a service on top of it. And the legal team was saying, Roy, we deal with case ma- matters and case management. And that's not the same thing as a requisition. So either, even though all of them were buying things, they, they were trying, we were trying to force them into one solution. And, and now the future, and this is where I get so excited about the trade shift uh, capabilities, is the future is being more customer-centric, internal customer-centric, so that you can have tools that meet the needs of the internal customer so it makes it easier and faster for them to buy what they need because the tool itself is built for them. It's built for the niche, the facilities worker, and the uh, the advertising person and the legal person and the salesperson and the manufacturing person, all those people have different needs. Uh, I uh, compare it to, uh, went to a class and uh, taught a session and I looked at the group and I said, you know, show me what's on your mobile phone. And not only did, did these students that were in their um, late uh, late teens, early 20s, uh, they would have totally different applications on their phone in between each, because some were engineers and others were accounting people. They had different applications and certainly different applications than I had on my phone. And that's because individuals pick out applications that meet their specific requirements. And therefore, uh, a tool set like TradeShift, which allows people to use applications that are that are unique to them, that meet their requirements, is going to create a uh, wonderful result of more penetration of the spend, more digital activity that allows people then do better analysis and better trending and therefore better solutions for the company as well as the suppliers, as well as the internal customers. Hey, Roy, what, what do you think is the most misunderstood uh, part of the procurement function? So uh, for those po- folks that don't come out of a procurement organization, um, what's the biggest uh, misunderstanding that w- that those outside have about um, your function? Oh, very straightforward. That everyone thinks that all we do is go with the low cost. That it doesn't matter about quality or service levels or or relationships or but it's all about cost structure. Now, interesting. If you talk to the CFO while well, the procurement people in the room, the CFO says, "Going, Roy, your number one goal is to lower the cost of doing business." So yes, that's always one of our goals. But it is always the highest priority is do we have the right product from the right supplier at the right quality at the right time with the lowest minimal risk? And I tell you, I've been in big companies and little companies, small businesses where uh, delivery is the most important issue that says, Roy, I make or break my uh, my solution. I make or break my customers uh, based upon delivery by 8 a.m. that day. So therefore, delivery was their number one item. It didn't matter what the cost was at that time because if they didn't get delivery, they lost their client, they lose their client, they lose their business. Uh, Where others, when you're dealing with big companies, quality is the number one issue. So my, uh, when I was at Raytheon, my CEO at the time basically came in and says, Roy, don't let a, you know, $10 $10 item stop my million dollar an hour production line. So the quality of that product, if it broke, if it wasn't up to speed and it stopped that million dollar line, you know, did it matter what the price was? Uh, because quality was absolutely the right, right issue. I also worked for a company where their costs had gone above and therefore their profits uh, were in the tank. They, they weren't making any money. And it, the issue was, is they allowed every internal customer and every production line by what they needed 
based upon what they wanted. So their cost ballooned, literally 40, 50% increases in their cost structure. And as you know, Ron, most companies are running between, you know, supermarkets at 3% profit margins up to, you know, companies that have 10 or 15 or 20% profit margins, but none of them could live through a 50% explosion in their cost of goods. So therefore, you give people too much flexibility, their costs go through the roof and they go out of business because of cost. So yes, cost matters. But cost is never the first thing on the mind, even though everyone thinks that's the case. I know we're wrapping up and we have just a couple more minutes to talk. The one question I wanted to close with is, what's the one piece of advice you'd give for supply for uh, procurement professionals out there and procurement leaders? Uh, so um, one is to, to very clearly uh, listen to their internal customers and understand what the need is, but also have a communication. I think most procurement groups don't communicate well enough as to why they do what they do and what are the restrictions and forces that uh, are put upon that group to be able to optimize programs. And that uh, although uh, it's almost like uh, I come from a big family and, uh, you know, if everyone had a choice at the dinner table to pick what they want, we'd have eight different meals going on. Uh, my mom was pretty straightforward. Whatever she put in front of you, that's what you ate. So there was a balance between you eat whatever is put in front of you versus everyone having their their own own meal. Uh, in the procurement world, in the business world, whether a big company or a little company, uh, choice adds cost. And choice not only adds cost of the product, but it, it costs more money for inventory and it costs more money for, for shipping and it costs more money for disposal. Um, so you have to listen to your internal customer, but more importantly, you have to be able to communicate with them so they understand why these things are happening and why it's important to streamline the process and add accuracy and get digital data uh, so that they can deliver better services faster. Well, I can tell you, I'm going to go online as soon as we're done with this podcast and order my iHeart procurement bumper sticker from my car because <laughs> I, am, I am among the converted. So, uh, look, this is a great chat and uh, we'll talk on episode three. Thank you, Ron. Have a good day. You too. You've been listening to Supply Change, a trade shift podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.